Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studio at Lambeau Field. And Wes, the Packers post a 24-20 victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars this past Sunday at Lambeau Field. Much more difficult than anyone had hoped or expected, but the Packers got the W. They are 7-2, and two, and they are still sitting in first place in the NFC North. So this has been my big message this week, Mike. I know it wasn't the dominating victory everybody projected. I'm sure that person that had thrown down $100,000 on a Packers straight-up victory was kind of sweating bullets there (laughs) into the fourth quarter. But what I come back to is this game I thought showed a step for Green Bay. I know that's a weird take to have when you only beat a one-win team by four points, but... I felt like they did what they needed to do in this game against the Jaguars that they didn't accomplish against the Vikings, who have now since gone on a a huge run here. Yeah. And and that was in the fourth quarter when the chips were down. They needed a response offensively, defensively, and even to a certain extent special teams. They they were able to at least muster enough to get that win. Are you going to get a lot of style points out of that victory? No. Is this now the sixth game that the Packers have played with the Jaguars all time in which has been decided by under, you know, in single digits? Yes. Uh, But I just felt like this game showed, one, again, just how brilliant Devontae Adams is. And two, that the defense, even though it's been kind of hidden underneath a lot of things this year, when it needs to find that gritty performance late, the pass rush getting into Jake Luton's face, they were able to do it and they were able to seal a victory. Yeah, the the down-the-stretch crunch time performance of the defense was very reminiscent of last year, frankly, where the the Packers won because the offense wasn't always clicking all that great in 2019. The defense needed to make some of these fourth-quarter stands, and and Sunday's game reminded me of that. I will say this, though, because it, it wasn't the Packers' best performance. It's not a performance to be very proud of, frankly. And yes, the weather is a bit of an equalizer for an underdog and all that. I get it. But an insider inbox reader, as I got done with my game recap and the editorial, we had that stuff posted on the website. And as you know, I stay late after our game coverage because I like to just get the insider inbox column for Monday morning written and out of the way so I don't have to get up at the crack of dawn on Monday morning to get it done in time. An insider inbox reader sent in what I thought was, was almost the perfect line that what occurred in that game was the recipe for an upset. You had a special teams touchdown by the Jaguars. You had two uncharacteristic turnovers by the Packers, a a fumble by Devontae Adams that leads to a touchdown, an interception by Aaron Rodgers that leads to a field goal. That's 17 of Jacksonville's 20 points in essentially those three instances right there. And, yeah, it really was the recipe for an upset. But as you said, the Packers needed a response on offense when they fell behind 20-17. to 17. They put together the 75-yard drive and got the job done. And then the defense, not once but twice, has to make stops there at crunch time in the fourth quarter. And if there is anything you can hang your hat on from this game, it's that in bad weather, in bad conditions, you were able to do that in the fourth quarter. And quite frankly, the Packers except for maybe the New Orleans game back in week three, the Packers hadn't really been put in that situation to pull something out late in the game in the fourth quarter. And yes, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, but 
they did the job. They're a totality of their experiences, though. And that's where this team, as they go into Indianapolis this week and Chicago the next week and, and in Philadelphia as they march into, into December, the, all of these things lead up to a playoff team. What makes you who you are? It's almost like it, it sort of builds your, your resume. And, and this is okay. Once we get to the postseason, these are the things that, as you said, we hang our hat on. And yet, this isn't going to be a game, I think, five years from now where you, are going, you and I are going to be talking about, oh, <laughs> uh, you remember that Jaguars game back in 2020? <laughs> yeah, right. Probably not. Um, but I just feel like the, these can be the launching pads. This game really wasn't pretty in any shape or fashion. No. James Robinson had over 100 yards rushing, the 91-yard kick uh, punt return for a touchdown. But then... There's little moments of brilliance that were interspersed throughout it. The 78-yard touchdown pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the longest touchdown pass. I wouldn't even believe this for Aaron Rodgers in, in six years. Uh, the, their ability, you know, late where Jacksonville had been stifling the run, Aaron Jones breaks one for 20 yards. It's just those type of plays. And again, Devontae Adams playing on a bad wheel uh, with the ankle injury in which he left for a moment. He comes back, skies up, obviously didn't affect his vertical. Yeah, I was going to say, got up in the air to pull down that winning touchdown. The go-ahead touchdown. Preston Smith, everyone's wondering where the sacks are with him. He comes up with the sack on third down. Fourth and 26, the pass rush just converges on Luton. They don't let him get comfortable in a situation where I think a lot of times people are thinking three-man rush. So there's just so many different factors that I felt played into this game that while it's not going to be one that we're going to remember, so to speak, if the Packers can get on a run here and put that to good use now against a much better Indianapolis Colts team on the road this Sunday, it could be the type of performance that, that fits into a winning streak where maybe it's not the headliner. Yeah. Aside from the two defensive stands at the end of the fourth quarter, which obviously were important, there are two other things that I take out of this game if I'm the Packers in terms of trying to build on something. One is actually the defense against the run. And I say that, yes, James Robinson, solid performance, 23 carries, 109 yards. But Robinson had Robinson averaged 6.8 yards per carry in yeah, the first half. Right. In the second half, the Packers cut that in half, 3.4 yards per carry in the second half. You could see the defense against the run was much better. Now that comes with one caveat as Matt LaFleur had pointed out and as I wrote about Monday evening on our website, right after the Devontae Adams fumble, the Jaguars get called for holding. They're in first and 20 just outside the red zone. Okay, that's where the defense needs to get the stop, force the field right. goal, so the turnover only produces three points. But Robinson busts off an 11-yard run, and instead of second and really long, they're in second and nine, and a couple plays later, they're in the end zone, yep. and you didn't take advantage of the holding penalty. But even with that one 11-yard run in the second half, Robinson only averaged 3.4 on his 13 carries in the second half. So I thought the Packers' run defense, they, they got their act together yeah. in, down the stretch in this game. The other thing that I think you take away if you're the Packers was the performance of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I'm going to say this, not because the 149 yards was his career high and because the 78-yard bomb was you know his career-long touchdown pass, but this was the best game of his career, in my opinion, because of the variety of plays that he made just on four receptions. Right. But the one, the one was the long bomb, but we saw him 
make a big play on a shallow cross off the off the play action boot, which is a pass that he has dropped a couple right. of times this year. And it's been a staple of this offense too, right. when they got to get it. Right. We saw him we saw him stay alive and convert a third down in a scramble mode yeah. for Aaron Rodgers, which also he got a touchdown against San Francisco the previous week in a scramble mode situation. So that's another good sign. And then he took a, a receiver screen, one of those quick yeah. outs, bounced off a couple of tacklers, moved the chains, and, and got some significant yardage. The variety of plays that Marquez Valdez-Scantling made on just four receptions that's something that I think the Packers would like to build on and to see more of here down the road. And when, if you're hoping, as you're hoping to get Alan Lazard back off of injured reserve, this is something that could really be a positive sign for this Packers receiving core. And you just see the swagger that he got after that 78-yard touchdown pass. <laughs> you know, they've been able to connect on some of these deep balls lately. And what was the issue last year when he fell into his doldrums? They just weren't on the same page with those. And some of the, the quieter moments this season's not on the same page, but... Those are game-breaking moments. And when the Jaguars are going to defend Green Bay the way they were going to defend them, a lot of eight-man boxes. They talk about the cover three on the back end, sort of three different guys covering their part of the field. You have to be able to create those big, deep ball opportunities to really keep a defense honest because I, I tip my cap to, to Walsh and everything that, that the Jaguars did. It was a good, solid game plan, but Green Bay was able to crack open those explosive gains when they needed to. That's the dimension Marcus Valdez-Scantling adds, and we're going to have to see what this week holds for Alan Lazard. He'd practiced for basically two straight weeks, and then last Friday did not. It does sound like he's still going to be activated on Wednesday, which is the end of his 21-day period to do so. But, man, if they can get a healthy Alan Lazard on the field, the ways in which Green Bay can use Marquez Valdez-Scantling and be able to keep defenses and secondaries you know, a little bit nervous, a little bit of you know, turning in their bellies about where this guy's going to be, my goodness, does that set up well for them, especially with some of these dome teams coming up. Well, one thing we hadn't seen, obviously, we've seen Valdez Scantling catch those deep balls and take the top off the defense. But as I mentioned, those shallow crosses, yeah. he dropped a couple of those this year. But his speed is dangerous it in is those crazy. situations. And finally, you know, in, in the worst of conditions, ironically, where it would be the most difficult to actually execute yeah. that play, they do get it executed, and it turns into a 31-yard gain. You start you start using his speed horizontally like that, and you start to scare a defense a little bit too because, because it is difficult to defend sideline to sideline with a guy like that. So I just I think that's a really positive sign here for the Packers. And I will just say this as well, as you mentioned, the 21-day window for Al Lazard to practice with the roster exemption is expiring this week. If the Packers do indeed put him on the active roster, just so everybody knows, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play right away right. on Sunday against Indianapolis. But if the Packers don't want him on injured reserve for the rest of the season, they have to activate him. They have to put him on the 53 this week to have him available at any point the rest of the way. So I just, we'll see. Yes. I think Alan Lazard, from what we're hearing, is close to coming back. I just don't want everybody to right. think that as soon as he's on the 53, oh, that means he's playing. We don't know that for sure. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is there's so much added flexibility this year with the practice squad. I mean, you saw it. It's Saturday and Sunday. The Packers <laughs> elevated four players yeah. between the two COVID-19 replacements and the other two that they're allowed. Uh, Jawan Winfrey was up from the practice squad in that game. Actually played seven offensive snaps for Green Bay at receiver. So, yeah, again, 
in the past, it's almost been a situation where you got your 53. That's the way it's got to be. This year, with all the different changes and maneuvering that teams have been allowed to do, it gives the Packers a little bit more buffer there, depending on exactly when Alan Lazard is going to be cleared to play. Yeah. All righty. Well, before I forget here, Wes, we'll take care of uh, some sponsor business. Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88 is the only radio outlet dedicated to the National Football League seven days a week, 365 days a year. And gear up for game day, folks. Open a Packers checking account from Associated Bank and score a $50 Packers Pro Shop gift card. Learn more at associatedbank.com backslash Packers. All right, well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Packers are 7-2. and two. They actually now have a three-game lead in the loss column on the rest of the NFC North because Minnesota went into Soldier Field in Chicago and beat the Bears on Monday Night Football. So Green Bay is 7-2. and two. The Bears are 5-5. Five and five. They now have their bye week. The Minnesota Vikings and Detroit Lions are both 4-5. and five. So the Packers have two losses. Everyone else in the division has five. And I don't like to talk about this too much because there are seven games to go. But, yes, if you like to get into the entire NFC playoff picture, if the season ended today, the Packers would be the number one seed in the NFC because of uh, the Seattle Seahawks losing and falling to 6-3. and three. Packers are tied with New Orleans right now, 7-2 and two atop the NFC. But first, your thoughts on the NFC North and the Monday night football game, which it sounds like you got bored and gave up and decided to play some video games and stuff. Video games were calling me, Mike. It was, I, I, I admit, I watched, the whole, I watched the whole game, but it was not the most exciting Monday night football. I mean, come on, man. The, Bear, the Bears had one first down in the second half until the last 20 seconds of the fourth yeah. quarter. I mean, the, the ineptitude of the offense, I, I just honestly, I, I you know, it's hard for me to say this in some respects because I know Bears fans can be obnoxious, but I honestly feel bad for Bears fans. One of my best friends is a yeah. tried-and-true Bears fan. We were texting during the game on Monday night. I honestly feel bad for Bears fans having to watch that offense. That is, that is just, it's absolutely, it just makes you, makes you ill watching a team struggle that much to just move the football. Yeah, my, my brother-in-law, Mike, actually is a huge Bears fan, uh, grew up in that area, and his, you know, his family's from that area. He, uh, he sent me a meme, uh, which was, I don't, Jason Momoa, do you know him at all? No. I think, I think he's Aquaman. He was also in Game oh, of Thrones. okay. Big guy. Okay. He was one of the, I believe it was the Super Bowl commercials this past year, one of the big popular ones. He's a big hulking guy. And then they also did this one where he's walking through his house and he's taking all of his muscles off and he ends up being like this slender dude. He had sent me a meme, which is the version of Jason Momoa where he's like really like, you know, hulked out. Yeah. That's the Bears defense. And then the other version was the Bears offense. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, so Mike, that made me smile. But rather apt images, I think. The thing I can't get over, Mike, you can you can talk about the quarterback until you're blue in the face. And it sounds like Mitchell Trubisky very well might end up being the guy again. Yeah. But think about all the years where the Bears are really strong contenders. What did they have? They had a ground game. Cutterell Patterson was their leading rusher in this game. He rushed for thirty yards. Yeah. Uh, now I understand David Montgomery not playing and everything, and, and Tarek Cohen's hurt as well, but it's just it's so unlike them. And I, I just feel like when you don't actually establish the running game, man, you are making life so difficult on your quarterback. I don't care if it's Foles. I don't care if it's Jim Miller. I don't care if it's Shane Matthews. I, I don't care who it is. <laughs> it, you're, you're, you're making life difficult. And the reason yeah. why this game ended up kind of being sort of a, a dud on my end is defensively the Bears are great. 
they have a really strong defense. Delvin Cook carried the ball 30 times, didn't get 100 yards. His longest carry was 15 yards, 14 yards. I mean, the Bears' defense can compete. That, that's a defense yeah. that they could win, you know, win some games with. But yeah, offensively... That, 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 defense, that defense can clamp down on anybody. Yeah. There's no doubt about but it. But offensively, they're just not getting it right now. And it, it led to a, a really long night in which I finally decided, you know what, that Nintendo Switch is calling me. Yeah. And I'm going to have a little bit of fun. Well, I mean, the, the, Packers found out, the Packers found out a couple of things similar to the Bears in terms of facing that Vikings defense where if Mike Zimmer is going to play his two safeties back, if he's going to play cover two, if you can't run the ball against that, you're, you're dead in the water against Minnesota. And the, the Packers were struggling to run the ball. The Bears flat out could not run the ball at all. Uh, obviously, the Packers were missing Aaron Jones in that game at Lambeau Field a couple weeks ago. But then compounding that for the Bears, they couldn't run the football against the too high safety look. And they had absolutely no answers for the Vikings' blitz. Anytime that Zimmer dialed up a blitz, Nick Foles was completely helpless back there. He had, they had no answers whatsoever. And Corderell Patterson running the second-half kickoff back for a touchdown gave the Bears the lead and gave them a chance to win this game and actually kept them in it all the way to the end because the offense, the offense did absolutely nothing and, and they did, couldn't even get in position for a Hail Mary try at, at, at the end yeah. of the game. But that being said, so the Packers have a three-game lead in the loss column on the rest of the division. The other really interesting develop, well, a couple of interesting developments here. As I mentioned, the New Orleans Saints also seven and two along with the Packers, but they're now dealing with a significant injury situation with quarterback Drew Scary. Brees. And my goodness, yeah. you hope that Brees is okay. It sounds like now it's been the last couple of games combined that have created the, the ribs, the, the lungs was last week. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so. Uh. Um, when you say punctured lung, Mike, I just I just immediately start grabbing my side. Oh, I get I get nauseous. Yeah, I can't I can't even I can't even imagine. So the Saints dealing with significant injury at quarterback, and then at the same time in the NFC West, you have the Rams having beaten the Seahawks and the Cardinals win on a hail mary against the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. A great matchup between Kyler Murray and Josh Allen like we had talked about last week. You knew that was going to be a great game, and it turned out to be the best finish of any game in 2020 in the NFL. But now you have the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Rams all tied at 6-3 and three atop the NFC West, and the Cardinals and Seahawks get their rematch on Thursday Night Football here in, in just a couple of days. So a lot of really interesting things happening here in the NFC as the second half of the schedule gets underway. You mentioned to me when we were discussing, you know, and, and we can get into this at a different time, but, you know, like the MVP-type candidacy for Aaron Rodgers and the fact that these next few weeks we're going to learn a lot about him and this Packers offense with Indianapolis, Chicago, and honestly even Philadelphia is no slouch either. Uh, after that and certainly those are going to be big markers for him but I feel like right now Russell Wilson is in the middle of that the fact that he already has 10 interceptions right now I understand he's been carrying them a lot of ways through the season running game has been just a carousel for them with all their injuries there but uh, that's very uncharacteristic of him and I think that's probably more of an indication of the situations he's been put in and trying to make some things happen that might not be there the Cardinals man I'll say it every single week on the show they're for real uh, they took some big hits to their defense, but offensively, with Kyler Murray running those controls, they're a legit threat, and they're going to give every single team in the West problems, and if they get into the postseason, it's 
going to give the NFC offensive and defensive coaches a lot to think about. Yeah, I'll say this about the NFC West because a lot of attention on Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and what those guys are doing, and rightfully so. But that Los Angeles Rams defense, that is, you know, and I know the San Francisco 49ers have had their injury issues on defense. That Rams defense is by far the best defense in the NFC West. And the fact that they got the win over Seattle, they still have one more game with the Seahawks. They have both games with the Cardinals. The Rams keep playing defense like that and then, you know, stay efficient enough on offense. Golf has been very efficient. Yeah, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, put it, I wouldn't put it past the, uh, the Los Angeles Rams to end up emerging as the division champion there. I think it's just going to be really interesting how that, uh, how that division unfolds. And, uh, and obviously the Packers, Packers are going to have, uh, have their eye on both the Vikings and the Bears here. The Bears' schedule gets a little bit easier. The Vikings' schedule also gets a little bit easier in terms of the opponents' records for for the next few weeks. They're going to be trying to keep pace while you know scoreboard watching on Sunday to see if uh, to see if the Indianapolis Colts, who beat, I believe, both the Bears and the Vikings, if I'm not mistaken. If you hold on two seconds, I can get you an answer there, Mike. I think, yeah, they beat. I think the I think the Colts beat both yeah. Minnesota and Chicago. <laughs> Twenty-eight to eleven. Uh, over Minnesota in week two, and then they beat uh, Detroit 41 to 21, and they also beat Chicago 19 to 11. So 11s were popular yeah. with what they were giving up against the NFC North. My point being, a team that knocked off those other teams in the NFC North, now they'll be watching to see if the Colts can do the same thing to the Packers yeah. uh, this week. There's there are going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people in uh, the upper Midwest rooting for the Indianapolis Colts yeah. on Sunday against Green Bay. No, for sure. And it's going to be a really good battle. I think it's, as much as last week I thought was sort of a mundane week uh, leading up to Jacksonville, given that they've been on a seven-game losing streak in Green Bay, everybody's expected them to roll through them. It's going to be the inverse of that uh, with the Colts. I think we're wrapping up. I do have something I want to say here. Okay. Uh, because, you know, this is unscripted. Uh, we didn't really discuss this beforehand. I had a whole uh, – soliloquy maybe or just a a promo i wanted to cut about david bakhtiari monologue monologue thank you uh david bakhtiari signed a contact contract extension on sunday evening uh actually it would be saturday evening we found out about it we found out about it on sunday yeah uh his second extension i gotta go back and look the last time the packers have actually re-upped uh a play or an offensive lineman for another four-year deal i got it Remember the last time that's happened? It's been a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brian Balaga had a five-year deal, but that was coming off of his rookie contract. Right. David Bakhtiari, and this is going to be something I'm going to want to look into a little bit more this week, but fourth-round pick, I think it was the 10th offensive lineman taken that year in 2013. Family night 2013. I will remember it, the air. I can smell it. Everything is just ingrained in me because I remember that seemed like the game where Bakhtiari was going to make his big move to start at right tackle. Yeah. Uh, there was some, there's some, you know, the situation was unfolding. You could see this guy did have some ability and they were finally going to start giving him some reps with the starting lineup at right tackle. Well, and this is when in, in the off season, the Packers had made the decision yep. that Brian Balaga, who had been the right tackle was going to flip over. Yes. And, with Josh and, and play and play left tackle for the first time in his, in his NFL career. So go ahead. Sorry. I interrupted you. Mike monologue. McCarthy. That was his big statement. He wanted to have his best guys on the left side of the line, protecting Aaron Rodgers' blind side. Well then lo and behold in that same game, I don't even know how many snaps Bakhtiar was able to take Balaga. We find out afterwards tears his ACL and now you suddenly have a rookie fourth-round pick protecting the blind side of uh, a one-time, at that time, one-time MVP quarterback, a guy at the peak of his powers in Aaron Rodgers. 
And I wrote about this, Mike, in Insider Inbox on Monday for Tuesday. This guy made that look so seamless. And he's become an all-world, all-pro, maybe potential Hall of Fame offensive lineman, left tackle over the course of his seven-year career. But when you go back and look at 2013, what he accomplished that season with some of the horses that he was going up against in the NFC North specifically, the Jared Allens of the world. And yeah, that. you talk you talk about baptism by fire in the NFL. He I mean, got holy all cow. of it. Yeah. And this is a guy that was on a one-win Colorado team. The, the what I, point I want to make with this as we close is that we make so much every year out of the draft and first-round picks and – you know, this, that, and the other thing. I think Luke Joko was the second overall pick that season, and I think Luke's out of the league now. Eric Fisher's still starting for Kansas City. But it's it's always good to have reminders of this because it shows the human side of this game and how he may not have been the most talented recruit coming out of high school. Heck, he might not have been the most coveted offensive lineman coming out of Colorado. But every once in a while, you get those guys that are just the outliers, right? Mm-hmm. And... David Bakhtiari, for all intents and purposes, is going to be a Green Bay Packer for a really long time. Will probably end up in this Hall of Fame, maybe even another one in Canton. There are few better stories of in football than David Bakhtiari, and I think that's a story that probably hasn't been told enough. Yeah, I know we're going overtime here, but I want to. Throw, I'm sorry, Marv. I, no, I, I want. Yeah, we'll apologize to our producer, but I want to. I want to come back at you with this. There's. There's no putting a price or a value on a franchise quarterback. And Ted Thompson drafted Aaron Rodgers with the 24th overall pick, his, actual, his very first draft selection back in 2005. But is there anybody from a, you know, scouts, GMs, they always talk about wanting to get the best value out of every draft selection, yeah. trade, whatever moves they make in the draft. It's all about value. Other than Aaron Rodgers... Is there any value pick in the draft in Ted Thompson's career that is better than a franchise left tackle no. in the fourth round? I, I, I don't think there is, and that's taking nothing away from all the receivers that Ted Thompson drafted in the second round and even finding the franchise's all-time leading scorer yeah. in the sixth round in Mason Crosby. But, boy, to find David Bakhtiari in the fourth round, and, and Bakhtiari will be the first to say when we talk about the baptism by fire his rookie year in 13, I remember him saying a few years ago, he looked back at some of his film from 13 and 14, he thinks he was just a god-awful player. Yeah. You know, he, he hated the way his you, film looked. But, yeah. but, that, but that's the thing, like, he, just, he, he always just took it upon himself to make the strides that needed to be made and, and to not just become a franchise left tackle, but as you said, now a multiple all-pro selection, possibly headed to a, a, a career that ends up in Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, the value pick there by, by Ted Thompson in 2013, I think, it's, I think it's unmatched other than the franchise quarterback he found in 2005. Exactly. And for a lot of years, you know, and, and it depends on what metric you want to use. Clay Matthews and B.J. Raji obviously helped them win a Super Bowl, uh, those selections in 2009. But I think when this thing's all said and done, you can probably make a good case that he's going to end up being the second best draft pick that Thompson ever made. And that, that's considering Nick Collins and and Matthews and some of these other guys. Right. And, and to Bakhtiari's credit, too, I know he doesn't take a lot. Pride isn't the right word, but I'm sure he cringes a little bit when he thinks of 13. But as I wrote about Inbox, I still to this day cannot remember a game in which it was just a nightmare. I'm sure there were some games where he felt like he was off, 
But he never was a turnstile from day one. And now, for the foreseeable future, going to be blocking the blind side of Aaron Rodgers, a man that he called his best friend. And Rodgers called his best friend, but yet they couldn't agree on whether or not they were each other's best yeah, they friend. Yeah, weren't, they weren't sure what There's the other guy... There's an inside joke there. They weren't sure what the other guy was going to say, but uh, yeah. yeah, well... Hats off to David Bakhtiari, and congratulations on uh, on um, his historic contract. And uh, and yeah, he'll be around in Green Bay for quite a while now. Yeah. We've gone way over time, but that's okay because this is Packers Unscripted, and we will call it a wrap on this edition. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.